Every day for the duration of this time of tumult and change, Cood Street is spending ten minutes or so with readers and book lovers from around the world, asking them what they're reading and what they'd recommend to anyone with a bit of unexpected time on their hands. Today I'm spending ten minutes with award-winning author and commentator Cory Doctorow, who joins me from the west coast of America. Hello, Cory. Hello, Jonathan. How are you? It's lovely to talk to you. And lovely to talk to you. I'm well. I mean, we're as well as you can be in the in, in this strange and unusual time. Yeah, yeah. There's that. There's a famous CBC contest where they invited people to complete the phrase "as Canadian as," and the winning entry was "possible under the circumstances." <laughs> and I, I feel like that's that is my. Uh, I am as whatever as possible under the circumstances. Insert insert uh, adjective here. And are you finding that you're able to to function in these times to work and read and write and do all the sort of things you need to? I'm struggling a little more to read than I think I would normally, but I am writing. In fact, I'm writing a utopian novel right now, and it has become a form of fantastic escapism. Just, you know, half an hour a day spent in the first days of a better nation has been a remarkable balm. It's just, I've just finished the first week on it. I write 500 words a day. So I, I, I'm at just over 2,500 words for the last week. And how hard do you feel it is because, I mean, just before we we started, we were talking about Kim Stanley Robinson, and he's a notorious utopian, if you will. How hard do you find it to approach utopianism as though it's a practical possibility? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I think that, um, there is a misconception about utopianism that it's a world in which the problems are all solved. Uh, and I think that that is like, I always think of this as an engineering problem, right? Mm -hmm. A a perfect machine is not a machine that never breaks down. It's a machine that fails gracefully, right? You, You know, engineers who design machines that never break down don't build perfect machines. They build the fucking Titanic. Right. It's, it's, it's like, oh, we don't need lifeboats. What should, what do we need lifeboats for? Like the, the, the humility and yeah. foresight to understand that the system will break down, not that it can break down, but like that the second law of thermodynamics isn't just a good idea. It is the law mm-hmm. that, that, uh, that is a foundationally utopian idea. The idea that you can build a machine that rolls to a graceful stop and then is easy to get started again is uh, a fabulously utopian idea. And I find it uh, endlessly soothing and and frighteningly easy, I have to say, to to write those worlds. Well, I shall look forward to seeing it in a year or so, sort of given yeah. the, the realistic timelines of the universe. Well, but, I think I'll be done. I'm shooting for New Year's to be done with the first draft. Which means hopefully what would see it in 2022, I guess, out in the, in the real world. Assuming there's still publishers, bookstores, paper, printing presses, the internet, me, yes. (laughs) Well, let me ask you, since it's what we're here for, what do you find yourself reading at the moment? So I've been reading slowly but surely, and the book I just finished is Afterland by Lauren Bukes. It's all the books I should say that I'm reading are forthcoming with one exception. Um, I'm, you know, especially now trying to read for reviews and blurbs because I understand the fears that writers have about not being able to uh, promote their books when when they come out. So Lauren wrote a serendipitous plague novel. It's a a novel in which all the men on Earth die uh, with like less than one half of a percent of the men on Earth die. There's a virally transmitted form of prostate cancer that kills everyone with a prostate. And it's about a South African like Lauren with an adolescent son 
who happens to be visiting family in the States with her husband when this happens. Her husband dies, and she and her son are left alone in America. And after they are locked up in a research compound under a a martial law order that locks up all the surviving men to study them to see if they, uh, if, if what allowed them to survive can be systematized so that women can go back to having babies without knowing that they'll die. Um, they escape and they, they travel across America. It's an American road trip novel in that great tradition of American road trip novels. And like every great American road trip novel, it is a series of flashbulb illuminated moments of the way that different people cope with crisis. Uh, it is eerily timely. Um, you know, possibly too much so in that the book is due out in July when there will not be bookstores or tours or any of those things. So, you know, bad luck for Lauren. Worse, I think, for her right now because I just got email from her that in, in Cape Town there, um, they've closed all the liquor stores and people who are alcoholic are, uh, going into seizures and facing death and there are armed robberies of liquor stores and so on. Uh, so yeah, she's, she's, uh, She's got to stiff up her lip for it, for all of it. But yeah, she's, she's, boy, what a, what a piece of timing. So I'm also reading an extraordinary new novel by Joe Walton, which again, like extraordinary and Joe Walton go hand in hand, but by Joe Walton standards, this is an extraordinary novel. It's, it's a novel about a novelist from Montreal, like, like Joe, well, Joe's not from Montreal, but she lives in Montreal, who's at the end of her life. And she, like many novelists, has an imaginary friend who is part of a kind of ensemble cast who steps in and inhabits her characters. There's just just this kind of voice in her head. Except this voice is real. And this voice has a plan to save them both because she's now in her 70s. She's writing her last book. And and the novel is in the novel. So the novel she's writing, which is the continuation of her super successful sort of J.K. Rowling grade successful series about an alternate Florence and Joe is obsessed with Florence because she's great friends with Ada uh, Palmer who is a Florentine scholar and so it's it's a kind of alternate renaissance Florence in which no one has to die uh everyone is immortal and uh this fictional character is uh, or this ensemble fictional character her imaginary friend is the narrator of the novel who is trying to coax the author of the novel whose novel we are reading to enter the novel so that they can both live forever it's extraordinary. It sounds extraordinary. What's it called? It's called um, uh, Or What You Will. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also reading uh, the one book that I'm reading that is uh, currently in print is Anna Wiener's Uncanny Valley or Weiner maybe. Uh, it's uh, which I started before the the epidemic and have set aside, but but I'm anxious to get back to. It. I'm nearly done with it, and it's a memoir of going from being a publishing assistant in Brooklyn to getting involved with tech and moving out to Silicon Valley. And it's a beautifully observed and beautifully written, very sharp, critical but conflicted memoir of life in Silicon Valley. Uh, and as someone who's very conflicted about Silicon Valley, uh, I'm, it's really chiming with me. Not least in the middle of it, she starts describing hanging out with her ex-boyfriend, uh, and going to visit him at this weird civil liberties group that he works at in the middle of San Francisco. And I realized she's talking about my friend Parker. Uh, and I, I took a picture of the passage and texted it to him and said, you're a character in this very good book I'm reading. You come across very well, despite the fact that, you know, you're her ex. And he was like, I'd heard that. I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear you feel that way. <laughs> So yeah, it's um it's it's a superb memoir. I I ha- highly recommend it. Okay. The poesy, the language is beautiful. Okay, we'll have to make a point of searching it out. Let me ask you as well. Since these are 
undeniably difficult times. Do you recommend people, if they're looking to read, that they look for distraction, for comfort reading, or for something challenging or interesting? What would you recommend to people to you know to to, to search out? I go for a blend. I always find that um, reading about people overcoming extreme adversity is itself heartening. You know, on the one hand, it does give you the cold grew, right? You know, I, I, one of my favorite novels of all time is James Clavell's debut novel, King Rat, which is a lightly fictionalized history of his time in the Changi concentration camp in Malaya during World War II, which was, you know, Ronald Searle was, was interned there. There was, it is a remarkable, it was full of artists and writers who later became famous for producing extremely idiosyncratic, weird, and often very dark work. Um, and it's very dark. I mean, Changi was an extermination camp and, uh, and now it's the site of Changi airport, the most beautiful airport in the world, which is like the most Singaporean thing ever. Uh, and, um, and, and whenever I go back to that novel, there is a kind of, uh, comfort in reading about these people overcoming this incredible adversity that puts my own adversity into the shade, especially in as much as it's a, um, it's a tale of uh of that that's based on on real adversity right these are things that people actually survived uh at the same time um my uh not so dirty not so secret is that i struggle to sleep i have real problems sleeping i have a chronic pain problem and uh my go to is i have this bluetooth soft uh headband that has headphones built into it and i just put on an endless loop of terry pratchett audiobooks uh and I wake up in the middle of the night with just absolute terrible pain and some now anxiety as well. And listening to any of the readers, because there are four or five readers who did Pratchett, listening to any of them do this incredible job on on such an incredible oeuvre. And it's all the Discworld books, just the Discworld books. It's just, just a, with the exception of Dodger, which I have now listened to 50 times. Uh, so good and so comforting for me. Well, I guess, I guess the fact that there's such a underpinning of decency and, if you like, humanity or humaneness to Pratchett's Discworld, it makes it comforting, I guess, that you, that someone would have as decent a worldview as that and still turn out books that are funny and thought-provoking and engaging. Yeah, he's he was such a lovely bloke. And, you know, I had the pleasure to meet him a couple of times and, and correspond with him a little and... You know, I, I I wrote some introductory material for a reissue of one of his books and so on. And I, I, when I was a bookseller, I used to sell his books. And I imagined when I was selling his books what sort of person he must be. And when I met him, it was incredibly heartening to find out that that was just the kind of person. He really was the person you thought he would be. And there's a remarkable Neil Gaiman essay, his introduction to uh, Pratchett's essay collection, which I have to say is my least favorite of all of Pratchett's books. He was not a great essayist. He was a great writer, but not a great essayist. But but he, but he the, the Gaiman essay on the hidden anger inside of Pratchett so good uh, and really gives you a lot of insight into who he who he was yeah so let me ask you uh, as well given the times we're in what are you doing what do you have coming coming out I think there's a new novel due shortly isn't there yeah I uh, I picked a great year to have three books coming out uh, I I have the my first ever picture book it's a it's a book for Litley's called uh, Posey the Monster Slayer uh, illustrated by Matt Rockefeller 
and it's uh, an epic tale of a little girl who refuses to go to bed because she's obsessed with monsters, and every time her parents tuck her in, she sneaks out of bed, builds field-expedient monster-killing weapons out of the uh, the toys in her room, and then hunts the monsters in her bedroom. And her parents keep coming in and putting her back to bed, and they are slowly turning into zombies. And the final <laughs> monster battle is against her parents, who are now zombies. Uh, and she loses that battle. It's the only monster she can't defeat, but it's okay because all they do is tuck her in. So that's coming out on July the 14th, and a week before that, on July the 7th, these were supposed to both launch at Comic-Con, which is not cancelled yet, but I will be amazingly surprised if it doesn't cancel. Uh... The, uh, a week, a week, uh, before that on July the 7th, there's a new edition of Little Brother and Homeland in omnibus form with a cover by Will Stela, who's done all my, my covers lately, uh, with a new introduction by Edward Snowden. And, and that is, uh, as a way of teeing up my next book, which is the third Little Brother book, which is called Attack Surface, which comes out on, uh, October the 12th, October the 1st in the Commonwealth from Head of Zeus. And, um, it's a, uh, uh, a book uh, intended more for adults than the first two, which are YA novels, although obviously they, YA does not mean adults are not allowed to read them or, or won't enjoy them. Uh, but it's uh, it's a, a novel about a different character, Masha, the young woman who appears at the beginning and the end of the other two books, who is a, a private surveillance contractor. And it's about how she talks herself into doing the wrong thing. And, and it's about how people talk themselves, you know, how good people do bad things. Uh, which is, you know, a, a thing I think is very much of our moment in as much as we are like going to, uh, depending on how things work out, if they go for the best, we will have to have some truth and reconciliation with people who were, you know, manifestly on the wrong side of history. Many of whom I hasten to point out are in fandom. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, it is going to be quite a, quite a time in our, in our coming. And the book that I've just started writing, uh, the, the lost cause, is a book about truth and reconciliation after a successful Green New Deal. And it's about people who um, believe that they are living in a dystopian hellscape that everyone else counts as the first moment in a century that a generation didn't have to fear the future. Well, it sounds like a busy time. Certainly, I mean, I must say the children's picture book sounds almost a little autobiographical. Uh, indeed, uh, yeah, there's certainly elements of that, for sure. Well, and it's named after my daughter, Posey, so mm. yes. And I'll look forward to, you know, to, to Afterland. I mean, Afterland? After war. Uh, no, uh, Attack Surface. Attack Surface. That's uh, Afterland's Lauren's book. That's okay. Yeah, okay. Attack Surface. Well, I should look forward to Attack Surface and eventually to, to, to the book after. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. I genuinely appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, my pleasure, Jonathan. And please, uh, you and all the people around you, they should be healthy and well, and you should all look after each other as well. Yeah, and you too. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right. Thank you. <laughs> 